Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. The generational trauma and jouissance of spookies. <laughs> Hello everybody, welcome. It's another episode of Horror Vanguard. I'm John, otherwise known as the Liquid Guy, joined as ever by my good friend, comrade, and co-ghost Ash. How you doing, my friend? I'm I'm doing pretty good. I, I showed up to this abandoned house, and conveniently, it was decorated for my birthday, which I am not going to question in the slightest. I'm just going to yeah. uh, uh, th- you know Don't... thank you, thank you for setting this up. That's quite all right. I'm very glad you're here. Um, I've got a chessboard set up in another room, which is lit only by candles, um, and we will <laughs> and we will never talk face to face. Oh we, dear! God. We are we are talking. We are talking. Okay, all right. So I did this to us. It's my you, fault. You did. It's my fault. A- we're anyone, here. anyone, anyone who has listened to the show. Oh, they already for, know. <laughs> for a certain amount of time, we'll know that there are there are episodes that we do. Well, I don't quite know what to say, and those are always episodes of a, of a whole new cinematic world that Ash has brought me into. We are talking about Spookies today from 1986. It is a very underwatched horror movie, and so I am so excited for this. Ash, would you mind explaining to me and everybody listening? What is Spookies? Spookies is a silly movie. A very silly movie. However, even in the depths of a barely stitched together piece of film, there is worthy discussion. Film criticism is often viewed as lesser, and to be honest, it usually deserves it. But we can do better. We can treat film criticism as an art in its own right. This isn't a place to offer up trite observations and clickbait nonsense, but to grow something new and to reach beyond. Spookies, like all horror movies, gives us an opportunity to learn something about our world if only we are courageous enough to go and find it. We must be as weird and as spooky as Spookies to begin to critique it. In this text, we can learn a lot about why men need to work to dismantle the patriarchy, how capitalism changes how we can make art, and the nature of systemic social issues. It's all here, and it's all very, very spooky. Join us for our discussion of Twisted so I meant spookies. Hey! There's a little joke, a little joke in there. Uh, little inside joke. The spookies lore. <laughs> it's not really, an, I guess it's not really an inside joke if it's on a Wikipedia page. <laughs> but it's a reference. Um, well, let's start there, shall we? Yeah, I, let's, I think... let's set the stage. Or let's actually set two separate stages that are completely And then we unrelated. will rapidly, we will rapidly and incoherently cut between them. And then people will piece together what's going on. Yes. So, so basically what happens is a bunch of filmmakers come together and they make a awesome little creature feature in the 80s called Twisted Souls. However, there's some legal issues, there's some funding issues, and Twisted Souls can't get finished. It doesn't reach a, a, a full-length runtime. 
And for everyone uh, who doesn't know, you need a full-length runtime. If you've just got a short movie, it's really, really hard, if not impossible, to get a short off the ground, especially before YouTube. You know, now yep. with YouTube and Vimeo, you can kind of leverage your short film into a feature length film and a successful career. There's a lot of horror directors, uh, especially in like the Blumhouse camp that have taken this path. Uh, but in the 80s, uh, no Internet. So this is uh, really not working out for you if you're trying this path. Um, so what happens is that it kind of languishes in production hell for a while. And then they write effectively a separate second script for a completely different movie. And then, like, uh, sloppily hot glue the two together into one feature-length movie. And that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> well, I think we've done this with a few other uh, other films before. Maybe maybe before we get to, to the, the, the discourse zone, we should talk about the kind of technical uh, and uh, artistic elements of, yes. of the film. Just to kind of contextualize a little bit of what we want to talk about in terms of like getting into some of that more meta conversation. Well, welcome, welcome to the formalism zone. We're bringing back formalism. <laughs> it's going to be cool again. And uh, yeah, yeah. For- formalism is back, baby. It's good again. <laughs> before before we get into the unbearable jouissance of spookies, we need to talk about puppets. Yes, we do. Because this movie, this movie has. And this observation has been made before. Uh, you know, it's got a Vinegar Syndrome release. Uh, Red Letter Media covered it in one of their YouTube show episodes. It's a it's a popular-ish cult, popular amongst cult horror fans film is how I would describe this. Yeah. And I think the thing that has carried that popularity is that the special effects in this are like, like, like the practical effects, the puppet work, the costuming, the, the, the applications, they're all really, really, really good. You know, like really good. <laughs> yes, absolutely, and that's kind of why Twisted Souls was made. It was, it as you said, it was made as a creature feature. It was made to, and it was made deliberately to be like, let's just throw in every monster. That we can it's think it's got. Of. We've got a Grim Reaper. We've got Muckman. We've got Gremlins knockoffs. Uh, we have a giant Spider Woman. We've got zombies. We've got little vampires. Um, I'm probably like missing some because oh, we've got uh, like you're forgetting you're forgetting the um, uh, the electric octopus man. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of <laughs> like he's he's a melting dude with an exposed heart who's got a tail made of bone that can that can melt your face. Oh, and yep, yeah. I, yep. I think he drinks you through the tail. Uh, yeah, I think the, so. I, I don't really know what. Uh, yeah, he's. I don't. He's. He's. A, he's a new kind of horror monster we haven't really explored yet. Maybe Lovecraftian. Who knows? But we've got a. We've got a menagerie of spookies um, in this movie, and they're all really it, cool. I gotta say, the, the, I actually, I actually really like the monsters. Um, I think they're they're a lot of fun. Uh, uh, it's it's maybe it's maybe it's maybe they're kind of more meta, more more. Uh, abstract things which are wrong with this film or rather that are that are wrong with these films that have been this is basically the editing equivalent of david cronenberg's version of the fly (laughs) (laughs) there there were two there were two creative visions that were melded together and what we get is we get uh honestly two two uh 
the the script is not is not good. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the character work isn't very good either. Um, and a lot of the editing and pacing is very strange, mostly because it's trying to desperately pad out material. So I've got a little bit of a Spooky's hot take here. Okay, go on. Um, I actually think that the scripting is pretty solid. If 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 we extract the weird build, so there, there's two movies here. There, there, there's a movie about a bunch of teens and their dad who uh, go to a haunted house and get killed by a bunch of monsters. It's it's your classic kind of kind of setup for a plot. Teens go to a spooky house to party and they get killed by something spooky. And then we we have this other movie. It's about a young boy named Billy who runs away from home and gets stuck in this uh, spooky house and also gets killed by monsters. Um, so we've got two, two, two kind of like bog standard horror movie plots, um, which I think would have been totally serviceable bog standard horror movie plots. Like, not, I don't think they would have wowed as like, like the special effects could have, but it would have been like your, your standard fare. Um, and then the editing, I actually think the editing in this movie is really interesting and worth talking about because I don't think it's bad. I think it was trying to do the impossible and that the final product is incredibly interesting given the fact that you effectively asked some poor editors to sit down and stitch together two unrelated but kind of similar movies. Uh, yes. I, th- I, I, actually, I actually agree with you. And I think what what you get is you get what you get is a mess but you get an interesting mess and it's a mess for interesting reasons yes and i think uh as the old saying goes a movie is made twice once in the shooting and once in the editing in the case of spookies it's made three times once in the shooting once again in the shooting and then once in the editing <laughs> uh there were also a few technical issues on the version that i watched um like really inconsistent sound mixing Oh yeah, um, 100%. like the 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 sound levels are all over the place, um, uh, and, and so actually let's 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 kind of unpack this a bit further. So you really, you have two kinds of editing. You have kind of structural editing uh, on a kind of sequence to sequence and kind of story point to story point level, and you have scene to scene editing. And actually, you can have you have editing within scenes as well. Where you could, mm-hmm. or rather, like sequences where you're constructing a scene. Um, I think structurally the editing is a mess, um, and I I often think that actually because of that and because of the need to make certain scenes longer or to there there's very strange cutting mm-hmm. choices where you'll often often cut yes. like uh, in, insert shots or like B roll or reactions. Uh, and none of it kind of totally coheres, mostly because you can't make it do that without doing massive reshoots. Um, so you end up with something that is both on a beat-to-beat moment, feels off, and on a kind of structural and story level, is is basically trying to drag itself around on two broken legs. My My single favorite example of this is in the beginning of the movie, um, our characters are driving to this haunted house to party. Um, yes. The driver of one of the vehicles, uh, rock, Bauhaus rockabilly guy, looks out <laughs> the uh, the window of his car, and then we get a cut to the other movie, which is little Billy running through a graveyard into the haunted house. And, and yes. the implication for us, the v- <laughs> the, the viewer, right, uh, is is that like 
the driver ha- has seen little Billy running into the house, which which creates yes. this bizarre tonal dissonance because now one of our protagonists has seen a child running alone through a cemetery into the house they're going to party in. And for the rest of the movie, he's completely un- unconcerned with this. You know, he doesn't think that this is maybe somebody's house and it's not abandoned. He's not like, hey, let's find this child I saw. And there's the, there's a bunch of, and then like there's another moment yeah, where, uh, where a character named Adrian, uh, who's one of uh, your favorites, I know, is getting attacked by uh, <laughs> uh, discount gremlins. And and like we, we, we keep getting these cuts to uh, our, our cat boy who jumping up and down in a windowsill yeah, and... Uh, Adrian just doesn't seem to care that there's a that there's a small uh, werecat man leaping up and yeah. down in the window. It's just kind of like a non-issue for her at the current moment. <laughs> uh, I, 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 another example is that characters basically seem to forget that they're being attacked quite a lot of the time. So what <laughs> what will generally happen for the bulk of the middle third is they'll go, oh no, there's a monster in this room. Then they will run away and they'll go, okay, we're safe here now. Forgetting that they're mm-hmm. they're in a house full of monsters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a clumsy film, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, this is this is the Kuleshov effect, right? This is mm-hmm. this is a kind of a basic rule of editing, um, which you probably don't even notice until a film like this just just is forced to shatter <laughs> it into just, a thousand pieces. Just 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 straight up doesn't care in the slightest. Or if they do care, so, they're, they're trying their hardest to make the impossible happen. A lot of the basic rules of, of, of editing and making films were first theorized in the Soviet Union. Uh, one of them, uh, one of the Soviet uh, filmmakers, Kuleshov, comes up with this effect uh, of... You cut from one object to another. You cut from, let's say, you have the uh, a, a shot of a man's face. You cut to um, uh, a crowd in the street. You cut back to the man, and the man looks sad. You've established a causal relationship between those images, mm-hmm. um, and yet you probably don't even notice that. You probably don't even notice that that's how films convey like narrative tone or emotion until <laughs> until you watch something like Spookies. Where you go, hang on, why does everybody seem like they don't really remember what's going on? It's because, <laughs> it's, it's because of the Kuleshov effect. Yeah, wh- why, why does nobody care that this this uh, uh, tiny werecat man has been chasing them through this house? <laughs> like nobody, nobody see, like, like we, we can tell because of the Kuleshov effect that they have seen him on multiple occasions. <laughs> yeah, but don't but seem that bothered by it. They don't it's, seem that it's bothered. Just, it's just kind of, I, I, guess, I guess if I'm being attacked by... An exploding Grim Reaper, tiny werewolves, and a giant spider woman. I would also rank down a a like three and a half foot tall cat werewolf boy. Yeah. Like that that okay, I'd be like, okay, you're clearly on a lower power ranking than the rest of these monsters. I'm gonna just pretend like you're not there. Yeah, bigger things to worry about. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but this this kind of brings up a bit a bigger question, which I know I know you you wanted to get into, which is what we have is basically a film which is two films that have been forced together into some sort of we, weird hybridized monster form. So what does it what does it mean then to try and critique or do film criticism 
about a film which is so obviously not just one film? I think that's a really interesting question. And the more we do this show, the more I kind of like think to myself, God, what the hell am I doing? Uh, I'm, I'm a podcaster. Why? And in, in between those bouts of wailing on the moor, I like, yeah. I, I think about the nature of criticism and what criticism is and what it's trying to accomplish, you know? And like, there are obvious distinctions, right? There, there are critics who are more interested in like formalist critique, right? Like, and, and Spookies, Spookies is just a landmine for formalist critique, right? Like this is a, it's a labyrinth and the movie is the Minotaur and you have to run to escape if you want to do formalist critique on a film. And then there's, and oh, there's like completely. theoretical and other kinds of critique, right? And then like, you know, we can subdivide these even further with like really serious and somber uh, movie criticism and then like fun, like hearted movie criticism. But I think like a through line that transcends and connects all of these different types of criticism is like, are you trying to create something? Because a lot of times criticism gets written off as, as being literally reactionary, not reactionary necessarily in a political sense, just literally like it's just reacting to the text. But I think, I think you can, you can push criticism harder. And I think a lot of people do, and you could do more with your criticism than, than just kind of gawk at the uh, train wreck that is Spookies. I I completely agree, and I think this is actually this is actually a big problem with um, a lot of like online film criticism. Not as much, but a lot of it used to be like I'm going to recount the plot of the film and then cut oh, away yeah. for a re- a reaction gag. So all all I will do is I will react to the piece of art. Um and that's very bad criticism. That's that's just bad. Yes, yes, it's all those channels that are like ending explained and then they literally just recap oh. the ending of the film <laughs> and don't actually explain anything. They're just like giving you their written rendition of what happens. <laughs> And and you know what we could spend we could spend an entire uh, episode just going here's why Spookies is a bad movie or here are all the here's the kind of history of the production that means that Spookies is a bad movie here are all the mistakes that they make here are all you know we could go through and recount the plot and just ding uh, you know do the ding insert cinema sense ding here. Yeah, it, oh uh, my we God, call everything this everything wrong, wrong with spookies in sixty minutes or less. But oh, that no. is that's very bad <laughs> criticism. That's <laughs> um, so let's let's try and let's try and take this kind of seriously as as a kind of aesthetic object, as a piece of art that was put out into the world. And I think I think one of the important things in this for me is that like movies can be bad spookies is a bad movie you know on a, on a formal level this thing is a is a mess it's held together with duct tape you know like like osha is just waiting to investigate this movie for for workplace safety violations <laughs> like this thing is just barely held together and it's it's barreling down to to get in a, a runtime that could be sold to some some desperate fool who buys this movie but like and then there are good movies, you know, and then there are movies that are very competently made. 
Um, and even like Mother is a great example of this. It's a very competently made film, and there's a lot of interesting things technically and formally and visually. It's also a very bad movie. You know, yeah, like, yes. like this isn't it's not quite as cut and dry as oh, this is a bad movie, so it's not worth talking about seriously. Or this is a good movie, so you have to talk about it seriously. There are there are quote unquote very good movies that are just not worth the time of day to discuss. And then there are movies like Spookies, which are uh just a, a perpetual cinematic tire fire that just kind of like <laughs> command our attention. Yes, uh, bad bad is not a universal state, right? Things things can be bad in different ways and for different reasons and with different effects. Actually, one of the first things I wanted to talk about is that like we we've talked a lot on this show about how cinema is is making a film is inherently a collaborative act and mm -hmm. so we can't really say that one person is responsible for spookies or for you know if we go well it's a bad movie you go well whose fault fault is that and you go well kind of nobody's fault that it's bad it's sort of bad on a systemic level it's yes. bad because because to make something collaboratively demands massive compromises sometimes Ab absolutely this is kind of like what i was getting at in in the precy is that like it's it's not like there's there's a lot of awkward acting in this movie but it, none of it i don't think any of it is like really bad like everybody's everybody here is clearly like just a pretty serviceable working actor you know um, like did did any of them did any of them go on to do anything else Um, I literally have no idea. I've never heard of any of these people. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they have. But like, like what, 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 I'm, what I'm saying is that like, there were there weren't any like moments where I'm like, geez, buddy, like you might want to work on the craft a bit there. Like, like there have been with a lot of the other movies that I personally have suggested the two of us watch. <laughs> <laughs> But no, no, I think I think you're right. And I think like when we consider the failures of movies, like there's a lot of systemic stuff under the hood that's kind of you know, like like grease in the track right before the uh the multi-car pileup, you know, like the, the, there are things that aren't quite readily apparent that can uh cause your movie to self-destruct. Like with yep. this movie, the, this movie gets caught in the gears of legalities and finance. Like that's what ultimately causes spookies to fail you know and that that's not a craft issue that's not like a formal issue no that's this here's the important thing right again this is a really good example of something that we talk about on the show all the time which is that you can't abstract art away from the material conditions of its production because art is in in some way a reflection of the social totality out from which it emerges so, mm -hmm. so what we see in the 90s, and like occasionally, usually, especially in, in mainstream film, you get films which kind of obscure the material realities of their production, right? Massive blockbusters that are produced and made by incredibly skilled people, often on, on below the line wages or, you know, jobs secured only through union organizing and which make billions upon billions of dollars. And then occasionally mm -hmm. you get to see films like this where you go, 
this film is the way it is precisely because of the material conditions of its production. And mm-hmm. it is thus a reflection of them. Absolutely. And this is, I mean, just to be really crystal clear about this, this is just as true for Spookies, um, a, a movie that was just just like riddled with with production problems and technical issues, as it is true for like flagship AAA films like Infinity War. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so... Arguably more true (laughs) for movies like Infinity War that have billions and billions of dollars under the hood. Spookies exists because two guys who wanted to make a, a horror movie met a guy who wanted to make money off a horror movie. (laughs) <laughs> that that's a, that's a tale exactly as old as time beauty and the um, beast yeah, be- beauty and the investor <laughs> <laughs> and i i honestly think that um i think particularly the cinematography and effects show that there's a lot of skill um i think the direction the editing and acting and maybe a bit more oh yeah uh, it, it, it gets shaky i will say that's sure. i will say i will say workmanlike but but this film exists precisely because there was someone with a lot of money who wanted a good return on their investment, and they thought that the best way to do that in the 1980s, if you wanted to be in movies, was to make a horror movie. I mean, tr- traditionally, this has been kind of always true, right? Like, if you want the biggest return on investment, not the biggest, not the biggest box office or the biggest final uh, uh, income, but like the largest percentile return on the money you put in, you yep. make a horror movie. Because you can make it for dirt cheap, yep. and you can see big, big, big returns. I mean, like, like just look at Blumhouse. Those Blumhouse movies are made for like twenty to fifty million dollars, which, in terms of a contemporary Hollywood release, is literally just a handful of peanuts and lint. And yep. like, they make three, four, five times that on the back end. So, like, it's a swing and a hit if you're looking to make a movie. That makes money. Yeah, yeah, wasn't wasn't the first Paranormal made for like two million dollars? Yeah, yeah. Paranormal is notorious for this, and like a lot of like a lot of those really successful movies too. Blair Witch Project, you know, like super low budget, super high sales. But this is a formula that was kind of pioneered in the golden age of the nineteen eighties because you had uh, you had good theater distribution, but crucially, you also had the VHS market and the VHS market was oh, where God. you made your money. <laughs> right? The, you the VHS market so did money. change how this worked forever. <laughs> yeah. You could make so much money off films which were made for like, because this film was the, the budget for this uh, eventually I think was $300,000, which even in the eighties is not a lot of money. So, so you film your movie for like, and a 24-pack of PBR. (laughs) And then you put that in a VHS box with a completely unrelated image on the cover. Maybe maybe a very attractive woman and a very good-looking special effects skeleton. And then you give your movie an eye-catching title uh, uh, called uh, She Lives for Blood or something. And whammo, uh, a bunch of suckers are going to spend money on your movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is this is again the the nexus of 
I think specifically horror film because it was horror film that took to the VHS market like pretty much no other mainstream uh, uh, genre um, and capitalism. I just really quickly, I checked uh, uh, that movie title I just made up. She lives for blood does not exist. Uh, so that is now my intellectual property. Uh, and uh, if you if you're hearing me, Blumhouse, my legal team is as aggressive as it is non-existent. So it will, <laughs> it will it, come for you. If there is a a a coked up 1980s movie producer who listens to the show, <laughs> Give, please, my me. friend, get in touch. <laughs> I can I can I can auger this baby in for like thirty eight dollars. Let's do it. <laughs> but yeah, I I think a kind of fascinating thing, right? If if we are if we're going to be critics of art, we can't just be reactive and respond to the thing that we're we're presented with, but we have to be able to understand how that thing connects to the broader social social and economic totality that produces this kind of art. Absolutely. Um, and I think I think this is a this is a good point for us to pivot into one of those issues that uh, exists in Spookies, uh, and that is the patriarchy. A, a lot of a lot of guys being dudes in this film, and and none of them seem to be okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna break down really quickly all of the the guys with dad issues in in this movie uh we have rockabilly bauhaus who is uh <laughs> uh for some he, he looks like a rockabilly guy wearing like an 80s kind of like pleather suit he's he's got weird vibes he's got stay away from me vibes um and if if we uh watch his uh girlfriend very closely we can tell that he's physically abusive uh, so he's a big piece of shit. Uh, fuck you, Rockabilly Bauhaus. We've got um, uh, somebody's college professor who needs to get fired because he's dating <laughs> one of his students. Yeah, should not be at this party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess technically we don't really know that. Technically they might just be in an adult couple with a significant age gap, which there's a whole bunch of Twitter discourse for you. Have at it. Um, but in the context of the movie with the rest of these characters... I can't help but think that they met in like an un, an English 101 course in the bad way. Yeah, yeah. He needs to be fired. Yes. Uh, and maybe that's just because like we're both academics. So like that's the lens I, I see the world through is kind of like that career field. And I'm like, oh, there's a shitty thing that happens way too often. That's probably what that is. Yep. Um, but, but we've also got... Uh, uh, puppet a guy with a puppet who just makes everyone around him uncomfortable <laughs> including me <laughs> again also giving off like real sketchy vibes yeah he's supposed to be like the comic relief and a funny dude but like he's got a puppet it's just weird it's just weird i'm gonna be honest his character is just kind of off-putting um then we have a little kid named billy uh billy ran away from his parents because they forgot his 13th birthday and I, I, I have the sneaking suspicion. I have the sneaking suspicion that Billy's parents forgot his thirteenth birth, birthday because they are probably overworked. Uh, uh, I, I suspect so. Yeah. Yeah, and then so we we have Billy, uh, who's who one of his final lines being alive is, "Dad, is that you?" Uh, so eh, discourse. Ah, it's alive discourse. and well. Discourse. 
So Billy Billy uh, meets a drifter in the woods who is uh, effectively one of the woodsmen from Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. Who uh, who <laughs> walks up to Billy and he's like, "Got a light." Um, and then and then proceeds to talk about something about a well and then the horse being the white of the eyes and it starts to creep Billy out, right? And then like the drifter immediately gets killed by the cat boy. Oh and, yeah, like, we should also we should also bring up the the cat boy who is in this film. Yeah, there's a cat boy. Um, not not like a not like an internet cat boy, but like literally like a wear cat. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be—I want to be clear about that before someone for, before someone who's into the whole catboy thing races to this movie and is immediately disappointed by my description. <laughs> I was about—I was about to say I'm very glad you clarified that. A whole subsection of our audience was about to get very disappointed when they went to watch Spookies. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, I mean, like, uh, so Billy clearly a lot of uh, fatherhood issues going on there, and then the Drifter, like. We're never going to find out what's up with him. Uh, my 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 suspicion is that he was supposed to be some kind of red herring character that would have popped up later. Uh, you know, because 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 that's really common in a lot of like '80s movies is that like your your kid your kid protagonist will at the start of the movie meet a uh, kind of grizzled and tough looking older man who who seems mean and dangerous, but at the end of the movie we realize that he's actually just misunderstood and he's a good guy. I'm thinking like Home Alone, Goonies, kind of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll never know because he was killed three seconds later and covered in ketchup and left in the middle of the woods. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. Um, <laughs> and then there's, uh, there's uh, what is his name? Kleenex? Crayon? Creon. <laughs> crayon, yes. Our yeah, discount crypt keeper. Yes, there's <laughs> evil, evil ne- necromancer Dr. Crayon. Uh, who is uh, hellbent on mind controlling and or preserving the eternal youth of and or enslaving his dead former wife. And he, he is like a, he is like an old Crypt Keeper man now and she is forever young and beautiful because of his black magic. But like, it's very ambiguous <laughs> what his goals are. Um, outside of uh, yeah. like uh, imprisoning her and or bringing her back to life, but she's not technically. I don't really know. The movie isn't super clear about what Doctor Crayola is up to. And those are those are the men of Spookies. A little montage <laughs> right there. Just just a. I I feel like you know the um you know the 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 Twitter meme of like. Uh, oh, got a new kind of guy. <laughs> this this is a film that's just full of like the worst kind of eighties guys. New new kind of guy machine go burr. <laughs> um, and and yes, we should absolutely talk about this in relation to patriarchy because all of these different archetypes embody a certain kind of patriarchal horror um, absolutely who 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 do you want to start with um one one thing i want to say about all of them is that like one of the really telling things is that like all of these guys are really abusive to each other uh, uh rockabilly bauhaus hates uh uh professor boyfriend dad um, yeah, professor, professor Dad. Prof- yeah, Professor Dad, because Professor Dad is—they're—they're uh, they're both fighting for control over the social group. You know, they both want to be the alpha male or whatever, make all the decisions, be the tough guy, and you know, Rock- Rockabilly Bauhaus is is reckless, and Professor Dad is more mature. So that's 
their conflict, but they hate each other. They're, they're, they're not actually communicating. They're just, they just both want to fight to, to be on top. Uh, uh, Puppet Weirdo um, just make, literally just everyone around him is uncomfortable. No one thinks he's funny. Like he is a tag along like and clearly he, he is not concerned with reading the room. He is uh, uh, very self-centered. Right. Uh, but also, you know, all the guys are mean to him. He's mean to all of them back. Right. It's, it's that, that abusive uh, conflagration continuing here. And then we can extend this even to characters who aren't part of this immediate social group. Right. You know, like a uh, grifter, a uh, drift, <laughs> drifter, uh, drifter guy. Like we don't really know what's up with him. So I'm going to refrain kind of on commenting him because his character is so like unfinished. He's like he's in one scene and then he's murdered. So we don't really was he a good guy trying to save Billy, but he just didn't know how to talk very well. He wasn't good at communication or was he like going to kidnap Billy? We really don't know. And then like Billy's parents have clearly severely let him down and hurt him to the point where he's run away, specifically his dad, because that's the one he's calling out for later. Right. And then then we have Dr. Crayola uh, who spends the entire movie uh, being abusive to to his, to this captive uh, zombie bride or something and trying to kill all these dudes. And like, like there's this, there's this abuse that, that is one of the through lines of this movie and I think that that's a really important thing to to kind of highlight. Actually, we've 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 also forgotten a couple. We've forgotten a couple. Oh my god! Guys. Oh my god! We forgot about the British lady. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, we should talk about David, who is in a relationship with um, Adrian, who he hates. Adrian is. This icy power suit wearing British accented uh like femme fatale uh monster who who spends the entire film uh smoking and being verbally abusive to David. This couple is literally like psychoanalysis 101. You know, like 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 Adrian doesn't exist. She is the pure projection of of all of David's anxieties and fears. Oh, oh, completely. It, it's sort of like th- those two are basically playing out who's afraid of Virginia Woolf inside <laughs> inside this boring knockoff of Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's pretty accurate. Um, this is this is one of the classic horror movie tropes of like like if these dudes would have just shut the hell up for a second and like been like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the 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 twenty some odd women we've brought with us on this trip that we don't listen to at all until they're being murdered by fish goblins. Um, <laughs> what do you want to do? Because they they don't want to go to this house for this this awful party. They want to go home. They don't want to stay in this awful house when stuff wants to get we- if stuff starts getting weird. They want to go home. And the entire time, all the dudes are like, "No, man, no, I'm in charge." <laughs> it's just like if you would have shut the hell up and listened instead of trying to make decisions all the time, you would have actually come across the correct decision, which is leaving the murder house. Yes. You know, uh, it's not that hard, really. Uh, but uh, once again, this film proves that um, Eve Sedgwick is always cor- correct. Literally never wrong. I- impressive. Batting a thousand. Uh, because I, I, I have to be honest, I, I may have seen a couple of 80s horror movies, and... If you never have, there is a sort of expected progression in the story arc of 
teens go to abandoned house to party with beer and their 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 uh, female partners. Uh, they arrive at the house, and then there is supposed to be beers partying and the gratuitous eighties nudity. Um, but what we get is we get uh, instead of that, you get Ouija boards, and then just two dudes fighting each other. It's like these, Hell yeah. these men, these men are not even kind of interested in anything other than the kind of physical expression of their violence towards one another. And and the thing that makes this really interesting is like instead of you know like Sedgwick's homosocial triangle, we have like a a Lovecraftian homosocial shining trapezohedron in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it, it's it's a really great lesson for like the the incredibly abusive and harmful power dynamics that come from having like no no kind of self-awareness of your own position in, in in the greater patriarchy and how that constitutes a system of abuses and, yes. and no ability to critique that like these these guys are just on autopilot when it comes to their masculinity they're completely unaware of what it is and how it operates and what that means oh, is that completely. they're they're doomed to this suffering you know like uh they're on they're unable in, in the slightest to escape the web of of uh dr crayola's house of terror because of the fact that they've kind of got their patriarchy blinders all the way up you know so so they 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 can't they can't see the uh uh guy with bad electricity tentacle that will melt you and the uh child wearing a halloween costume that is maybe a vampire (laughs) i think i think that's just worth highlighting (laughs) <laughs> there's also lewis who tries to run out of the house and then immediately falls into a grave and dies oh been there been there uh, we've all we've all been there uh the grave which then uh the gravestone over which then it has his name etched into it in fire but yeah these, these honestly what a cool way to go <laughs> there's a lot of horrible the- painful ways to go in this world and if i fall face first into my own grave and then it bursts in flames and this kind of like grim celebratory mocking of my own foolish demise hey that's that's like an eight out of ten on the cool death scale uh, guys from the 1980s will literally go to a <laughs> aban- abandoned murder house before going to therapy and i think we should talk about that <laughs> oh my god yeah memed memed into the grave he was (laughs) but no i think i think that's like i don't want to i don't want to make this whole episode about that but that is i I think something really worth exploring this movie has interesting power dynamics and a lot of uh, definitely unintentional but incredibly interesting things to say when it comes to discussing the, the just abusive power dynamics that constitute patriarchy and how these dudes are just kind of like unaware of their own participation in that system and how that brings about their own downfall in addition to all of the the pain and uh you know untimely demises it brings to the women in their lives yeah i mean you know dr crayola is is literally doing this to because of his uh abusive control of 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 an ex yeah he wants to Um, like I'm still not clear what he wanted because it's like he wants to bring her back to life, but she's not dead. He wants to love her forever, but she can't die. I, it's just creepy. Whatever it is, it's creepy. Whatever he wants is bad. Don't don't like Dr. Crayola is my big takeaway from this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
not a role model. Not a role model. Not, not a role model. No, no. Not 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 like not like our usual horror villains who are upstanding gentlemen, respectable in their communities, and uh, hard hardworking <laughs> adults. Doctor Crayol is just kind of a jerk. And 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 all of the other men in the film are are just as invested in in various manifestations of uh, control and domination, or um, you know, uh, uh, social status and and. Uh, the the possessive attitude towards uh, the, the the women that they brought along, and, and it's so striking that a film that was so clearly sort of like none as you said none of this is deliberate, but it's all there in the text, right? And like I think the last thing I want to say about that is the fact that like all the men are are kind of like implicated in this system, right? Even even young Billy. Right, like young young Billy, who who is a child, he is pure of heart. He just thir- turned thirteen, you know, which is it's a that's a common social signifier. He has crossed that uh, all important line in any young person's life, where they're just rounding the corner into their late adolescence before adulthood's uh, demoniacal fangs rip your face off. <laughs> yep. But like, but but what, what do we what do we know about his character? Literally, the only thing we know about Billy, besides the fact that he's kind of oblivious to things that would make me go i'm gonna run the hell out of here like toys coming to life uh and haunting voices those things would have scared me as a child but you know whatever this is why i didn't die when i walked into dr crayola's house of murder but like the only thing we know about him is that like his dad forgot his birthday and regardless of the circumstances for his dad having done that right which we don't know um yeah it's 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 a signifier of this kind of intergenerational trauma that men pass down through each other that that is a constitutive element of what the patriarchy is i think i think that's i think that's such an important point i think that's such an important point to bring up um that it is an inherited and maintained system yes absolutely yeah and it's 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 often maintained through these kind of like implicit discourses right like it's reasonable to expect that if billy were to confront his dad and be like hey you forgot my birthday and that hurt me billy's dad would say something to the effect of i'm a man and i have to put bread on the table you need to toughen up and quit having these feelings you know you're 13 right now here's your shovel get in the mine yeah uh, there is this kind of a systemic you know uh, objective uh, patriarchal violence that is being perpetuated that shouldn't be obscured by the subjective, uh, uh, spectacular, monsterized violence of uh, Dr. Crayola's House of Horrors. And I mean, like, I know this is like the fifth time I've said this, but this is the, actually the last thing I want to say about this. What we learn from uh, the demon Spider Woman is, is that uh, she is also imprisoned in this house. Dr. Crayola uh, has has like effectively captured the spookies in in this house, right? Like it's it's even we have we have an extra physical level of abusive control that's coming out of Dr. Crans here. And like yeah. uh mind exploding sound effects in, insert here, abrupt change <laughs> of topic, otherwise this whole episode <laughs> is us talking about this. I 
Uh, yes, you're, you're you're right. We shouldn't we shouldn't spend too much time on this. But my goodness, it's it's fascinating to me that this is not nothing we have said here is has been a reach. Nothing that we no. have, have kind of pointed out. This is all explicit in the text, and it's so uh, kind of striking to me that so many people will will watch this and go, "Oh, cool monsters," and and that would be which it. Which is true. And all of the, which is which is true. Uh, but all of this other stuff is there too. But speaking of which, should we talk about should we talk about monsters? Um, gee, I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's talk about monsters. That's what is what we're here for. Uh, I I honestly do think this is the best thing about the film. I think. I, I love the practical creature effects. I think some of them are super interesting. Okay, favorites, um, favorite and, spooky. What's your favorite spooky? Uh, oh, I, I, I'm going to have to give it to uh, my boys, the, the farting mud monsters. Oh, that hell in the wine yeah. Cellar. Hell yeah. <laughs> because whomst, whomst among us does not occasionally wish to be a gross mud goblin living next to massive vats of wine. I mean, that's how I feel. That's how I felt for most of COVID. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I'm, 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 uh, how about you? I'm going to have to go for a, a tie. It's a tie between um, a, a gigantic uh, Grim Reaper Halloween prop that can explode at the slightest touch. Oh my god, the explosion is so good. That's just, it, it's so... Why do Grim Reapers explode now? I feel like there's something missing here, but it's cool. It's metal as all hell that the Grim Reaper just blows up occasionally. Like, that's cool. Um, and it's a tie between him and the order uh, them and, and the pets that, that, that they love and care for, uh, the not gremlins. They're, they're little, uh. like, fish, fishmen gremlin monsters. And they're just, they're just cute. I would, like to, I would have one in a little tank with a heat lamp and some sticks to, to recreate its natural habitat, and I would uh, occasionally feed it dopey college students. It would, it would occasionally try to gum you to death, um, but you can always find an evil blonde-haired woman from Britain who just <laughs> still wears... Who st- just find a Thatcherite from the 80s and just feed, feed yes. it in <laughs> Which Which, I mean, like, it's, that's, that's no different from owning a couple box turtles, so really it's fine. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Um, no, incredible. I think um, the one that I'm not as wild about in its setup is the the Spider Woman because I think it ties into some very kind of old fashioned Orientalist. Yes, tropes. yes, and that uh, that is 100 percent worth highlighting. With that, the the effects of the monster are are just the effects are brilliant, a, a stellar, but up there with Carpenter's The Thing. Yes, but, but it's it's used for these these ends which would it wouldn't be far afield to refer to that as orientalist it's you know it's it it's very it's at best it's very cliche and mm-hmm. very very done uh, um what do you think then how do we kind of like th- theorize this sort of excess of 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 monsterdom this this surplus of of gooey jouissance that that flows <laughs> flows like slime throughout uh dr crayola's house of horrors um yeah what do you think about this massive variety of spookies but i I think i think like besides the fact that it's funny to say the jouissance of dr crayola's house of terror (laughs) i i think that's that's kind of a good way to, to look at this right because it's like 
So jouissance is a is a pleasure that is so pleasurable it kind of sucks, right? Like that's a that's a that's your one sentence explanation of jouissance. Um, like my pronunciation, it's so pleasurable it kind of hurts. <laughs> would, would you agree? Would you agree with yes. that as like a quick one line explanation? Yeah. 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 Um, and so it it comes about by this thing called the pleasure principle, right? Where it's you can imagine it's like a, what's the maximum pleasure that you could ever take. And I say take here very intentionally because you can overload pleasure. Uh, a, qu- a quick example of this is, uh, you know, a, gla- a glass of wine. Fun. You know, great. Hang out with some friends. Maybe get a little giggly. Too much wine and you can die. Uh, maybe not wine because that has a low ABV, but like too much Everclear and you can die. <laughs> yes. And that's like, that's like a, a very crude but direct example of what we're talking about here. And I think like uh, a, a Grim Reaper that explodes is fun. Uh, a knockoff gremlin fishmen that's really fun giant spider woman that's fun if it was presented a little better um uh, little cat boy werewolf thing uh stalking a college professor and his inappropriate relationship with his students uh also very fun all of this stuff together it's it's like i've eaten fistful after fistful of halloween candy and now i'm nauseous at the edge of my own life yes I think that's 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 the kind of feeling that this gives me as well, especially beca- because of the the practical effects are as so many of them are in the eighties. This this gooey, nauseating, rubbery mm-hmm. physicality to them. You know, if you you watch the 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 the, the Spider Woman transformation, and it will sort of like set your teeth on edge because it all feels so sort of visceral. Yes. Lots of KY jelly and rubber latex, and that creates a lot of goopy flapping in this movie. <laughs> that is a that's a great phrase. <laughs> to, today's phrase of the day is goopy flapping. Uh, enter it at horrorvanguard.com to uh, win absolutely nothing because the website doesn't exist yet. <laughs> but no, I think uh, I, I think like it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see this movie this movie is just kind of bad <laughs> despite everything it's like it's fun it's fun to watch it's fun to watch with friends it's fun it's fun it's fun to mock but it's definitely not uh going to be very good nevertheless it's still been this vehicle for like everything from like uh slightly overly complicated uh you know, uh, psychoanalytic concepts such as jouissance, um, which I, for some reason, every time I say that, I start saying it worse. Um, I'm not quite sure what's <laughs> happening to me right now. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, jouissance uh, is in this movie, as as well yep. as like these really interesting uh, uh, conversations about like how how patriarchy propagates through men, and it's like this is spookies. That we're and, and we're not like we're we're not badgering the text for this. We're we're not we don't have it in a headlock. We're not doing some kind of like weird manipulations to get to these points. Like we're we're just like we're we're skimming the surface, and this is just kind of like the farting bubbly muck we're collecting right on the top. And we're already at the end of this episode, and it's just like. Like my God, isn't horror amazing? I I I say this at the end of like every third episode we do. I end by saying, 
we we could just go on and on and on forever about what is in this one movie. Spookies could be its own podcast or PhD or book of analysis. And like it's it's phenomenal. Like movies, movies like this are the movies where it's like, okay, like this is what I'm doing. I am so happy that I just get to talk about horror movies all the time. <laughs> I I am deeply glad this film exists. And I think it is it's a wonderful, strange accident uh of of cultural production. But there is something about it which is so kind of charming. And and you're right, we get we get to do this and as you say, we haven't we haven't we haven't done any of our kind of like crazy hot takes about a film. All we have done is respond to what it was trying to present even accidentally and i think it's amazing that we can talk about the 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 surplus enjoyment of a pl- proliferation of slime <laughs> but oh, also man. it's 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 1986's spookies <laughs> don't uh oh, now now we now you make me want to talk about slime discourse i you know we need to watch we need to watch bio slime we need to we need to my god uh, in the coming months you will have an episode on bio slime dear listeners and we will discuss slime molds spores fungi goo it will be our our drippingest episode ever <laughs> prepare I, for I, discourse and utter disgust <laughs> i accidentally said one of ash's uh, subliminally programmed trigger <laughs> phrases yeah. It's like I activated the Manchurian candidate. <laughs> I've, I've been trained in like a, a, a government lab, but instead of like some really complicated, like, like I'm, I'm going to topple the European Union, I'm, I'm just going to discuss the movie Bioslime. <laughs> I was one of the early experiments just to see if it would work. So they wanted to make it do something incredibly useless. <laughs> Um, I, I look forward to the Bioslime episode so much. But what a what a fun! This has been a really fun episode. I yeah. know some of our episodes can be super super kind of serious and in depth, but this was a fun episode. Some some so of those you. Resident Evil episodes were a little rough, and this was a nice palate cleanser. <laughs> thank you, thank you, uh, Ash, for introducing me to Spookies. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please do find us on Twitter, um, and. Uh, come say hi and let's talk about let's talk about spooky some more and we will see you next time yeah tweet tweet at us with your favorite spooky i want to know i want to know all of you in listener land which of our which of our spookies is your favorite spooky Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>